If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and just to kind of set the stage here where we're going to start, we're going to start at verse 9. But as you know, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. They've been instructed that they could eat of any tree in the garden except for one, right in the middle of the, oh, right in the middle of garden. Well, they couldn't even do that. They had everything in the whole garden, but they just had to have that one tree that God had forbidden them to eat from. And so they fell into sin. And uh, they realized it right away. They didn't know what sin was before they did that. But they realized that they had done something against God's word. That's the essence of sin. That we miss God's mark in our life. That we miss what God has for us. We are disobedient to what God has told us very specifically to do or not to do. But they'd fallen into sin. And so they realized also as well that they were naked. And they were ashamed. And they went and hid. And the scripture we're going to start with this morning, verse 9, picks us up right there. Where God comes looking for them. It says in verse 8 that God was walking through the gardens there. They could hear him rustling the leaves, walking through the garden, looking for them. And they hid from God because of their sin. If you found your way to Genesis 3, chapter 9, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 9, Then the Lord God called to Adam and he said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman that you gave to me be with me. She gave me the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts this morning, Father, that we might understand, Father, fully what we have in you, Father, but also understand our shortcomings and sin in a better way. Father, we pray right now, Lord, that you'd help us not to sin. Father, we pray that we'd walk in an upright way with you. Lord, we thank you now once again for this time in your holy word, Father. I pray that every one of us, Father, would leave here in just a little bit, changed yet again for eternity. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure we're all well aware that this is the beginning today of Holy Week. The last seven and eight days of Jesus Christ's life. In your bulletin this morning, there's a little booklet here. We printed this back in 2015, but I couldn't find anything I liked better, so I put this back out this year. It's a devotional. Got each day in there, a little devotion for you on the day, each day we're on, beginning today, so you can start reading today. But it also has every scripture that's in the Bible right now that refers in the New Testament to that specific day. So it kind of gives you a little of the standard there to do it. But as we know, this is Palm Sunday, and uh, it's known as the triumphant entry. And I want to start here. We're going to go into Genesis here because Jesus Christ was on the road to the cross. That's what he's doing. But how did he get here? I want you to understand that we're going to look at Genesis 3 here in just a few moments, and that's where the road started. Jesus Christ was around before that, but that's where the road started because that's when man fell into sin, but it's also when God promised a Savior and salvation. 
And so to understand today, we need to understand where it started and how we got here. How we find ourselves that Jesus Christ, of all things, had to go back to Jerusalem to be crucified. My wife loves collecting little mangers. All over the world, we've been on different mission trips in different countries, and we've always sought out a manger scene from that country. And so we got a nice little collection. They're all different sorts and all different looking. And I'm some, looking at some of them, I'm sure that that's not what Jesus looked like. That's not what the shepherds looked like. But it's a, it's a manger scene, much or less anyway. But I want to tell you this morning that there is one thing that you can add to every manger scene that's typically not on it. It's a cross. Jesus Christ was born to die. But you think about the, 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 the triumphant entry is recorded in all four Gospels. If you look at it in the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you see that it's described that Jesus Christ was approaching Jerusalem. He came upon a little town called Bethpage. Bethany is another word for it. And so he was approaching that city. He sent his disciples in to get a donkey. And so he got on that donkey as he rode, as he rode into Jerusalem that day. But I want you to understand the path he, 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 he traversed there to get into Jerusalem that day. Bethpage is to the east of Jerusalem. Bethpage is between Jerusalem and Jericho, just to kind of give you a geographical location there. But as he approached this mountain that stood between Bethpage and Jerusalem, he had to cross the top of what is now known as the Mount of Ascension. The Mount of Ascension is where Jesus ascended back into heaven. But just on the western side of this hill, as they overlooked Jerusalem, is the Mount of Olives. He came down the Mount of Olives on his donkey there and went through the Garden of Gethsemane. He went through down the, the, the Kedron Valley, down the little bottom, then back up the hill there to Jerusalem, the wall that went around Jerusalem. And he came in to the eastern gate. Well, Pastor, why are you telling us all this information? I want you to hear this. This is just the beauty of God's holy word. Jesus Christ came the first time into Jerusalem there, the first triumphant entry. He entered in as a donkey, on, the, on top of a donkey. The second time he came, he came on a, the second time he's coming, he's coming on a horse. But you know what? He's coming back in exactly the same place. He's coming down on the Mount of Ascension, He's going to come down the Mount, of, uh, the Mount of Olives. He's going to go through the Garden of Gethsemane, through the Kedron Valley, and up through the Eastern Gate. Jesus Christ is coming again. We're going to see that again here in Genesis 3 in just a minute. God was so very specific in the Old Testament from the very beginning that he wanted us to understand these things. God wrote his holy word and gives us his prophecies so that you and I can understand and benefit from his holy word. God wants you and I to see these things. I want you to understand one other thing, too, that we see here in the story of the triumphant entry. Palm Sunday, when Jesus Christ went back to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ had been to Jerusalem numerous times through his life here on this earth. Started as a young man. His parents took him there. Got left behind, if you remember, the temple there. But this is the first time Jesus Christ is coming back as a king. The very first time he's coming in to be crucified. But I want you to remember the story here for a second. Remember when he came in? They said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. The word Hosanna means save us. They were worshiping the king. They were paying homage to him. They were throwing palm branches down in front of the donkey. They were throwing their garments down in front of the donkey there. They were paying great respect to this entering king, the Messiah. Well, think about this. Five days later, they're saying Hosanna here on Sunday. Five days later, on Friday, what are they saying? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. This story, this simple story here, but the beautiful story of Jesus Christ entering into Jerusalem here on this very first day of the last week of his, his uh, journey here before he's crucified. We have in front of us a, a fork, a fork in the road. 
Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save us or crucify him. You and I as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a choice. We can ask him to save us or we, like many people there, said crucify him. I don't really care. Crucify him. As we think about this story here in, in Genesis 3, I want to remind you of salvation because this is not only a story of man's fall because of sin, it's also a beautiful story of God's promise of salvation. God's grace in the lives of Adam and Eve, but also for you and I. It's also a prophecy about how he's going to handle all these things. Think for just a moment this morning, the, the whole story and the whole idea. It's called the Romans Road. How appropriate we're talking about the great triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But it's called the Roman Road. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the culmination of those things is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart, you can, you can be saved. God is painting that picture here in Romans 3. The story of salvation. The story of sin. The story of God telling Adam and Eve, surely you shall die if you sin. But he's also telling them here in the scripture, we're going to look at it in verse 15 of chapter 3, we just read it, that God's promising salvation. But God has a little requirement for you and I. That we confess our sins. But also that we believe with all of our heart in God. That he sent his son to die upon that cross. Let's look at Genesis 3 now. Keep your finger in Genesis 3. Then the Lord God called to Abraham and said to him, Where are you? God knew all along where, where Adam was at. He knew where he was at. The question was not directed for his own sake. It was directed to Adam. Probably about, I was trying to remember how many years ago, probably 16 or 17 years ago, Amy and I went to Virginia Beach one Saturday with a family that we were friends with at Grove Avenue Baptist Church. We had three little ones at that point, and they had four little ones, so seven little children of Virginia Beach in the summertime. You've probably been there before on the beach. you got to get there early to scout out about 10 feet of square, square feet of property there on the beach because it's wall-to-wall people. But we were having a great day, and uh, probably about two-thirds of the way through the day in the early afternoon, the mother of the other family stands up in absolute horror and says, where's Jack? It's her four-year-old son. Where's Jack? Where's Jack? And we all start looking around. Can't find him anywhere. I mean, we see him nowhere. But there's so many people. We're sitting there. Oh, my gosh. What could happen? Here's the ocean. The little boy didn't know how to swim. So we're, the, the worst thoughts here. Another bad thought is maybe somebody abducted him. I mean, we were desperate to find little Jack. We spent more than an hour and a half looking for little Jack. Couldn't find him. We finally, we got the guards involved. We got all kinds of people involved. Other people that were around us were looking for him too. We described him. So everybody branched out. We found Jack almost a half mile away from where we were. He walked down the beach. He was standing on the side of the beach, half mile away. Praise God we found him that he wasn't hurt. But Jack was lost. God asked Adam, where are you? I can tell you this morning I know exactly where he was at. He was lost. Adam was lost. Adam needed to get his right, his life right with God. He needed to look at himself and realize, hey, I've, I've sinned. I've fallen short of what God asked me to do. He realized that my relationship with God has been disturbed. I no longer have the relationship with God that I want, that he wanted with me. God was desperate for that relationship. Don't miss this thought. 
God is more desperate for this relationship between Him and you than you and I are. God wants that relationship desperately. So desperate that He sent His Son to die upon that cross. God wants that relationship. Adam needed to get right. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Jesus told the story. Son decided, I've had enough of home life. Dad, can I have my inheritance now? Because I want to take off. I want to go live on my own. I want the independence and the freedom. So his dad, begrudgingly, I'm sure, said, okay, here it is. Gave it to him. We went off the big city and squandered the money. Woke up one morning and he was lying in a pig pen, eating pig food. He realized this is no good of life. I love what the Bible said. It says that this prodigal son came to himself. What does that mean? He realized he figured it out. He figured out, this is not, I'm not the person right now that my father made me to be. That's what Adam was thinking. I'm not the person that God made me to be. He realized he had sinned. The prodigal son realized that and also realized that, you know, even my servants in my dad's house are better kept than I'm being kept right now. I'm going home. Remember the story, while he was still a ways off, the father saw him and ran out there and put his arms around him and welcomed him home. God's that same way. God desires for you and I to come home. I don't want you to miss this thought. Since the very first time that God said this in his holy word, he's been saying, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I love you. I sent my son to die upon that cross for you. Where are you? Where are you? Adam realized that his relationship with God was broken, but he didn't know how to fix it. Nor do I know that he actually had a desire at that point to fix it. Adam's sin was a terrible sin against the holy God. God told him what to do, and he didn't do it. Many of us kind of figure out, looking back, that I'm, well, man, if I'd been Adam and Eve, I wouldn't eat that. I would have the whole garden would do that. Well, what do you mean? Just the fact that somebody tells us not to do it. It begins when you're a child. Honey, don't touch that stove. It's hot. What do we hear the next thing? Some kid's screaming because he just touched the stove. The same terrible sins that Adam committed that day, unfortunately, we commit. Adam turned away from God. Adam disobeyed God. You know, a lot of times when we think about our disobedience, we don't realize that, you know, I don't rob any banks and I don't really, uh, you know, assault anybody. I haven't pulled a gun on anybody or haven't shot anybody or killed anybody. We kind of qualify our sins, really bad sins. And so we kind of grade ourselves and say, well, I'm not that bad a guy because I haven't done those things. The Bible says very clearly, we've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. God is calling out to you and I, where are you? Where are you? I want you to come home. I want to have a relationship with you that is so tight that there's no mistake in your mind that I'm walking with you every step of the journey. There's no mistake in your mind that I have everything under control. That nothing in this world is outside my reach. That I have an incredible, incredible life's plan for you. You know, it's interesting to make things even worse here for old Adam. Adam was running, on, running away and hiding from the only person that could help him, God. He was hiding. I want you to note one other thing this morning, too, as we think about this first verse, verse 9. Adam was not seeking after God. God was seeking after Adam. Adam was hiding. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? I want you to realize this was not the voice of a policeman. This was more of a cry of grief from God. God's heart was broken by Adam's sin. In God's infinite wisdom and in his providence, 
I'm sure God realized what had just happened. He realized all along what was going to happen. But he realized that what Adam just did now is going to permeate his world for thousands of years, for centuries. The sin and the sorrow and the sadness and the shame is going to permeate culture, permeate his beautifully made perfect world. You know, the other thing that I think that God was thinking when he saw that, why he had a little heartbroken, heartbrokenness. He realized the price that he personally would have to pay with his son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. That he was going to one day have to send his son to this world to die for our sins. You know, Adam was forced to come face to face with sin. Adam, where are you? This is Adam's response, verse 10, if you still have your Bibles open. Chapter 3. He said, so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. You know, Adam's being honest here. He said, I heard, I was afraid, and I hid. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of a diagram of our sinful behavior as well. I've heard your word. I've heard what you've told me in your holy word here. I've heard what you want me to understand. I've heard your statutes and your commandments and your testimonies here. I understand who you are, God. I understand, God, what you want out of my life here. I've heard those things. Do you know, I was kind of afraid that if I kind of move too serious in that direction, that I'm not going to have the things I want in this life. If I really move this direction, I'm going to lose my freedom because I don't want to give up those things. Why should I have to give up those things? I want my freedom. Well, as we all know, that there is no greater freedom than when we totally surrender to Christ. I have freedom. I don't need those things because I got God. That's what I need, and that's what I had. Then we hide. Isn't it interesting? The essence that God is light. Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. He also calls you and I light. He wants us to walk in the light. Well, Adam wanted to hide because he didn't want to be in the light. When we sin, you know what? We really don't want people to know about it. Adam had a hard time confessing to his. In fact, he never did. Adam should have been running to confess to God. Adam had a destroyed life, but by the grace of God. We've seen those things before. Maybe your life was like that too. You realize that without God, my life is nothing. And it is. Until I came to know Jesus Christ. My life was destroyed. Adam was a fallen man with a fallen heart. I love what the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17 of his book. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitfully, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Adam came to realize there was a problem in him and it was his heart. You know, God uses two questions here in the scripture we just read to hold Adam accountable. Beginning in verse 11, he said, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Interesting here. Adam blamed God. And then he blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And then indirectly blamed God as well because who made the serpent? 
Who created the serpent? God. She, in essence, was saying, God, the serpent you created, he made me do it. He deceived me. Think about the progression of sin here. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Forbidden fruit. Then Adam blamed God, and then he blamed Eve. And then Eve blamed the serpent. And then both of them together blamed God again. There is no confession here. Both of them should have said, God, I did it. I want you to understand this too. Both of them had a choice. We have a choice too, a choice too as, as well when we're deceived. That God, deceive, that God does not deceive us. It's the enemy. But I have a choice to say I'm not going that direction. I don't care how appealing you make that. I'm not going that direction. I'm giving my life to this direction here, Jesus Christ. I've turned away from that life and I'm turned into Christ. You know, what we see here is the beginning of third-party liability. Some of you have dealt with that before when you've been in the business world out there. But think about third-party liability for a second. It's just an excuse. It's not a confession. It's not an admission to guilt. It's an excuse. One of the most famous ones I can remember are the Menendez brothers. Remember them? Two brothers killed their parents. And their defense... My parents were bad parents, so they deserved to be killed, so I killed them. Isn't that sad? A lot of times people get in trouble with alcohol. And uh, when they get in big trouble and get involved with the law, what they want to do is kind of pull everybody in and kind of use them to take part of the blame. Well, they gave me the drinks at the bar. Really? I had an accident tonight in my car because I was drunk, but it was the bartender's fault because he gave me the drinks. I'll tell you what's kind of funny. hear this from some of the police officers in our church and that I've talked to. You know what a man does many times when he gets stopped and the state sticker, inspection sticker's out of date or the license plate's out of date? First thing he says is, my wife's car. My wife's car. We're talking third-party liability. I want you to understand the Apostle John wrote this in his first epistle chapter 1. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to live in the mode of confession. You need to understand that God desires to forgive us, but God wants us to take accountability for it. God wants us to acknowledge the fact that, God, I've sinned. God, I've given my life to you and I sin. Forgive me, God. And he wants us to be specific. You know, the question that might step on our toes beginning with your pastor this morning, how much time in my prayer life do I spend confessing? Do I spend any time at all? Does that mean that I just really don't sin? Or does that mean I just haven't taken the time to acknowledge the fact that, God, I've fallen short? God, forgive me. God, I don't want anything to stand in the way of me receiving the fullness of your grace. God, I don't want anything to impede this relationship with you and I. I want to have a clear funnel of communication with you. I want to have a clear line of thought and mind with you, God. God, I don't want anything to stand in the way. Confess, one of the definitions I looked up, means this. He says to say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. Understand that it's a sin in God's eyes. And I'm confessing right now, saying, God, I understand that. I know it was wrong, and I'm giving you the glory right now, and I'm also asking for forgiveness. God, I want you to forgive me. You know, you've probably heard about sin nature and the fact that we're born into sin. Well, sin was birthed that day in Adam's heart. The day that he disobeyed God. 
the day that he fell into sin. He brought sin. There was no sin before he ate that fruit. There was no sin in that garden. He ate that fruit and brought sin. That sin that day was not just on himself. That day, sin separated all the mankind, all the offspring of Adam forever from God because of sin. The Bible says that you and I are born into sin. King David said this. He says this in chapter 51 of Psalms, too. You're probably familiar with that psalm. Probably the greatest scripture in all the Bible about repentance. David had sinned with Bathsheba. David had Bathsheba's husband killed on the battlefield. David realized, I have fallen big time away from God. I have totally failed God. David was desperate, desperate that God not take his hands off of him. He repented and said, it's beautiful, created me a clean heart, oh God. Scrub me with hyssop. He's saying, God, whatever it takes, God, clean this sin off me. Do not take your hands from me. David says this. He says, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That's Psalm 51, verse 5. David realized what he had when he had a relationship with God and it wasn't obstructed and it wasn't poisoned with massive sin. And he poisoned it. He realized that. And he begged God to keep his hands upon him. Every sinner is in need of a Savior. You know one of the biggest problems with people in the world today in having a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ? They don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to acknowledge sin. They don't want to say that, you know, my life's not sinful. That's pretty good. You know, I don't do anything really bad. Well, all of sin and fall short of God's glory. We know that. But it's interesting here how we kind of come to a point in our life when we realize that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that sin, and I'm not one of them. There's a lot of big sins out there, and I never do any of these big things. I might do a little bad things, but that's not really that bad. Well, no matter what the sin, we're all separated from God because of it. Any sin is bad in God's eyes. Throughout the Old Testament, we see God's covenant with his people. There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The New Covenant came when Jesus came and died upon that cross. The covenant changed and became a covenant of grace. By God's blood, we're saved. The Old Covenant, though, was kind of an if-then thing. God says, if you do this, then I'll do that. But his old covenant was such that God blesses those who walk in obedience. God curses those that walk in disobedience. In verses 17, uh, 14 through 19, we see God send out curses. He does them in the order that they commend him. He curses the serpent. He chastises Eve. He never says that he's going to curse Eve. Then with Adam, he curses the ground. God is a God of justice. God is also a God of wrath. God very clearly told Adam and Eve that you shall surely die if you eat this fruit. And they were surely going to die. So God had something so much more for them. God had an incredible gift to give them. And isn't this just like God, when we have our worst day, when we have the, the, the baddest experience we can even begin to imagine in our life right now, God's there with his grace. When we disappoint God, he's there with his grace. When we don't meet the standards we know that we're supposed to live in, even when I feel in my own life, and maybe in your life too, that, man, I've disappointed God today, God says, yes, but I still love you. I still love you. 
I still have this incredible experience for you. I want to look at the best part of the story here. This is huge. You know, it's, it's easily not understood, but I want to explain it in such a way this morning that we truly understand what's going on here. Look at verse 15, chapter 3. God's laying out the whole picture of a Savior. He's also letting Adam and Eve realize that there is salvation for your sin. There is a future here that I'm offering forgiveness. He said in verse 15, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Well, enmity means hatred, means antagonism, means hostility. What God's saying here is that I'm declaring war between the human, human race and Satan himself. There's going to be an ongoing war until the end of the ages here, but not into eternity. God kicked Satan out of heaven, Lucifer. But God also gave him some dominion on the earth here. Not total control, but God gave him space. In the midst of that declaration of war, though, Adam and Eve heard the gospel, the good news. It's the first promise of the Savior in the Bible. It's the first prophecy in the Bible. The middle part of verse 15 there said, between your seed and her seed. He's talking about Satan's seed. You say, well, what the heck is Satan's seed? Satan doesn't have kids, children. Satan's seed is a reprobate. Satan's seed is somebody that does not have God in their life. Satan's seed is somebody that lives for the world out there. Satan's seed is somebody that Satan uses in this world to steal, kill, and destroy. Her seed, that's Eve's seed. And he gets very specific in the last part of verse 15 here, and he says, one of your seeds is going to be victorious in this world against Satan. He's going to bruise Satan's head, although his, his heel will be bruised. He's talking here about the seed of Jesus. I want you to understand this, too. It's beautiful here. That's why I mentioned a minute ago about the whole entrance into Jerusalem there that day in that triumphant entry. He's coming again the same, very same way. All the way back here to Genesis 3 from the very beginning, God is pointing out to you that Jesus is going to come into this world three times. Well, how do you know that? Well, think about this. He shall bruise your head. He's talking about bruising. He's talking about killing Satan and not only Satan. When does that happen? When he comes back the second time. Jesus Christ's second visitation to this earth. His second coming. The last sentence there, you shall bruise his heel. He's talking right there about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You know, I believe that Satan, and you know, you do as well, that um, Satan believed he had the victory. When Jesus Christ died upon that cross and got buried. Satan figured, I finally did it. Tried to do it all these years, all the way back, all the way back to the beginning. I tried to get rid of Jesus Christ, and I finally did it. I want you to know that when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, that Jesus Christ was always on our, already on the road to the cross, already on the road to Calvary. Jesus Christ was coming as our Savior. I want you to see something beautiful here, too. I mentioned a minute ago that Adam didn't really get it. Adam never answered God's questions when he asked him if uh, he ate from the tree. 
And who told him he was naked? He never answered him. He also never confessed. But here's his confession right here in verse 20. It says this, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You know, Adam was paying attention when God was speaking to him now. Why? Because Adam had a broken, contrite heart. He realized that he had offended God. He realized that he had disrupted the relationship with he and God. And he wanted to hear what God had to say. I'm sure part of his punishment, but also, God, do you have anything good to say? Is there anything I can take hope on? And he got hope out of verse 15 when God said he set an enmity between man and woman, between man and Satan. But he also put it to work. Right here he says that Adam named his wife Eve. You know what he did? He gave his wife the name Eve that means to live. To live. Adam says, I'm cursed. My work is going to be nothing but toil. Also, I'm going to surely die one day, but I have hope. I have hope because God just told me that my offspring is going to produce the person that destroys the enemy. God promised that he would break the head of his enemy. What an amazing faith. Verse 21 points to the cross. It said, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. The Bible says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You know, it, it points and, 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 and kind of underlines all the Old Testament sacrifices of animals. But more than that, it talks about and it points towards the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon that cross that he bled and died for you and I. God then sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden because he was not going to let Adam and Eve live forever in sin. But he didn't kill them. He gave them that life here on this earth. They eventually died, a physical death. They died spiritually that day, the day they died, the day they, the day they ate that fruit. So what? So what does all this mean in yours and my life? Well, we need to all today, I believe, ask that question. The question that God has for each one of us. Where are you? Where are you today? Do you have a relationship with me? God speaking. Are you walking where you want to walk, be walking with me? I have so much more for you. I have so many more blessings, but I also have so many more things I want to do with you. I have a greater purpose for you in your life. Where are you today? Are you believing God for his promises? Are you realizing in your life that I'm living a life of defeat right now because I'm not resting in the promises of God? I'm not trusting God for my future. I'm not trusting God for power in my life because of the Holy Spirit abiding in me. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? That's huge. You know, a lot of times we'll commit this or that, but it really boils down to the fact that I fully surrendered to God. I want to surrender my, surrender my life to God today. Today is the day of salvation. Where are you today? Where are you today? My favorite stories, I've probably shared it here before. It's about a single mom that lived in Brazil. She lived in the outskirts, one of the major cities there. And she was a single mom, no fault of her own. Her husband had been killed. And she was raising a daughter by herself. Her daughter was just uh, full of life, but also 
full a little bit too much of the life of the world. And her mother was working overtime just trying to keep her daughter safe, keep her kind of within good bounds and trying to help her daughter grow up making the right decisions. And her daughter just kept going in the wrong direction all the time. There was always fights in the house. There was always adversity between the mom and the daughter. Things were not good there. The daughter had finally got to a point in her life when she said, I'm finished and done. I can't take it anymore. She ran away. She ran away, and her mother was desperate to find her. Her mother was incredibly broken because her daughter had left. They didn't have that relationship anymore because she wasn't there. And she realized it probably partly my doing because I was maybe too hard or maybe not compassionate enough or didn't love her right or whatever. She blamed herself. But her, her mother desperately wanted her daughter Maria back. I, I miss Maria. She prayed for Maria. Protect her, God. Please send her back to me. After more than a year, Maria was about ready to give up because she figured her daughter's finally gone and permanently gone. Well, she said, I'm going to try one more thing. She said, I'm going to put a picture of Maria on a paper. And I'm going to write a little message to her. And I'm going to post these all over town. On that message, she had Maria's picture, her beautiful picture. And she wrote on that little message there, she said, Maria, whatever you've done, wherever you've gone, Whatever you become, please come home. Because I love you. Sign mom. So it happens that Maria saw that picture on one of the telephone poles that was posted there. She went home. I want you to know this morning that God is telling every one of us I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care what you've become. I want you to come home because I love you. I talked to a man last week that felt like he couldn't have a relationship with God. He couldn't even go to church because he had done so many bad things in his life. Broke my heart. I said there's story after story of God taking the worst of sinners. I told him about Paul, the Apostle Paul. I'm hoping he comes one of these days. God loves us. God wants us to come home. God is asking every one of us. He's been asking the same question since Genesis 3. Where are you? 